episode 36 of Girl Mode. I'm one of your hosts, Robin B. And I'm Willa Rowe. And this week... Wait, what are you starting with this week? God damn it. We go off for one week. I know. And we you come back. Take a break just... for one week. And we've we've lost all of our incredible podcasting skills that we definitely had before. Don't go back and check. Yeah. Any semblance of organization is just shot now. And I'm like, oh, yeah. how the fuck do we do this? This week, we're both feeling a little bit like Twitter, which is to say, <laughs> barely functional and getting worse. Does Yeah. Yeah. What is up with that? So yeah, today's the day when everybody woke up and Twitter just was fucking broken, uh-huh. like more than usual. I woke up and I was like, what is rate limit exceeded? What is going on? I guess it's just a dumpster. Fire. Apparently, Elon is limiting the amount of you- like posts you can view which certainly is a good business uh, strategy for a site about looking at other people's posts. But mm-hmm. yeah. And a site that runs on advertising. It feels like the kind of like one of the things that he's going to immediately be like, oh, I didn't mean that. I meant we're not doing anything because someone is going to have to talk him into not torpedoing it mm-hmm. again. But yeah, Twitter's still fucked up. Follow us on Coast. I know, really. I'm like... Do Someone invite it... me to Blue Sky. <laughs> hey, listen, I just got in. The second they give me invite codes, I'll give you one and you then I'll better. use one to make a girl mode Blue Sky. Oh, right. You should probably do the girl mode one first, to be honest. <laughs> that's true. No, actually, that's me... true. Because if I get the girl mode one, then both of those accounts can then get invite oh, codes. Yeah. And then I can just... There we go. Anyways, yeah, you should. Uh, we have a link tree and we have multiple accounts. We'll, t- we'll say them again at the end, but just follow us everywhere else, please. Yes. I was thinking about this. I'm like, I'm kind of depressed about it because I was like, I've built an audience finally and I have like friends and like I have people there and now it's just like, that's completely shot. <laughs> What am I going to do with all the art accounts I follow where I see all my hot art? See, this is the problem. This is really the issue. 600 fan art posts a day? No, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. I need more Yuri in my life than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. It'll mm-hmm. just keep breaking slowly. Mm-hmm. Speaking of another thing that I think is broken, let's talk about video game reviews. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say or, you just, or no. do you just hate me? No, it's neither. I just, no, that's fine. Let's do that. Let's talk about video game reviews. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm very tired. <laughs> I will say, I think it was really funny that I opened up our Google Doc today where we have like our ideas and the outline for today's show. You just had put in, Willa, I'm so tired. Yes. <laughs> Which is very if accurate. my general demeanor didn't give it mm-hmm. away, I'm, I'm not sleeping well. <laughs> Earlier this week, I got off of a Discord call with you, and I was like, I'm going to play some Switch. <laughs> and I literally fell asleep playing Nintendo Switch with the Joy-Cons in my hand for Absolutely like 45 minutes. Yeah, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyways, video game reviews. This is something that I was thinking about a lot, and mm-hmm. I, I think I bullied you enough into letting me talk about it on today's show. No, it's not. This is like... You're, this is a thing. This is a thing to talk about. I've just been like, since I got laid off, I've been very out of the loop of these things. And so they've Mm -hmm. been like, I haven't been, been thinking about them as much, Mm -hmm. but you're right. It is, it is, it is a real like fucked up thing. It, It feels less immediate to me because it's, 
not how I spend my time anymore is thinking about these things. Uh, but you have to. So I mm -hmm. understand why it's uh, a perpetual irritation for you. So I think the way to enter this is Final Fantasy 16 has come out and as much as possible, I'm not going to make this more a let's talk about why we don't think Final Fantasy 16 is great episode. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about a bigger issue, though, that has like happened and Final Fantasy 16 is just the latest instance that exemplifies it, which is reviews came out on embargo on the 20th. By and large, the game received like a lot of perfect scores, a lot of nines, like very high scores with a lot of people being like, this is the best game in the franchise or this is the best game in like 20 years, like blah, 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 really praising the game. There were a couple outliers. I think the biggest ones that I think of off the top of my head are the Digital Trends Review and the Polygon Review, which were a lot more critical. Then the game came out on the 21st into the hands of the public. And then something that I was thinking about a lot is was put into words really well by uh, Giovanni from Digital Trends, who's the one who did the review of Final Fantasy 16 for Digital Trends. And he said on Twitter, quote, always a weird sensation to put out an outlier review, get dragged for it, and then spend the days after embargo seeing all of your critiques echoed and agreed with elsewhere. My line at Digital Trends is always, our reviews are what you'll think of the game in six months, and I stand by it. And so for me, the thing that I wanted to talk about is how games are reviewed, especially how games are reviewed on embargo. And this idea that I have a lot of the time that we're kind of in this era almost where I think there are video games that are like too big to fail. Mm -hmm. And so with Final Fantasy 16, I was thinking about this because leading up to it had this major hype cycle like obviously everybody had thoughts on it there were there were people on the like you know deterrent or the non-believer side like me who were like i am so uninterested in this game i do think this game is gonna be crap but like by and large a lot of people were like this is the second coming of christ for this game to come out and they were massively hyped it before it even came out people were like this is the best game of the year and then you know it comes out it gets all these incredible reviews but then kind of what Gio was saying is like literally hours, like 24 hours or 48 hours after the mass public and other critics get their hands on it who weren't able to review it on embargo. And like the second that the public has their hands on it and other sites have their hands on it, like a lot of the worst parts of this game come out. And I was just really curious about this, like to talk about this with you, because I think about this all the time, this idea of like, sometimes and i don't want to like say this to be mean to other critics i think it's just it it's it's an issue of the industry at large that i think yeah, a lot of us are pushed into to other critics i would never so be mean you. to critics by name um <laughs> uh not in a form that we're going to release to the public anyway. yeah robin robin gets the tea but anyways i'm gonna do it but there's gonna have to be a lot of bleeping through this episode no but um and I just want to talk about, to you about this. Yes, Sorry, that's actually not true because we did absolutely call out one of the Hogwarts Legacy reviewers by name. Oh yeah, but that was different. Which that like, was, like, was deserved. I forget yeah. who it even was, but it was the IGN one. But like this is different because like it's a little different. Right. But anyways, yes. and I just want to like have this conversation with you about this because like we've both reviewed games and been in these situations and like also been in like on the 
the bad side of companies because of mm-hmm. reviews and writing you've done. Sure. And like, I just kind of want to have this conversation of like what the state of like reviewing games is and like our games or our like reviews on embargo necessary now. And like, what is the purpose of them versus like criticism that comes out later? God. I mean, I think, okay, I think there are actually, there are two pretty distinct like topics there Mm -hmm. and one is the idea of like the the review embargo Mm -hmm. which i think we've probably talked a lot about uh, a lot about already i don't know how much you know kind of untouched ground there is there but like yeah the problems with that are fairly obvious which are Mm -hmm. like when you're relying on the publisher of a game that you're critiquing to get codes before embargo there is uh, a, a degree of you know a loss of um integrity a loss of integrity there <laughs> to some extent you you're relying on like staying in their good graces to continue getting codes mm-hmm. so that's like a big issue i think it's that's honestly probably not as big of an issue as like the kind of dweebs who complain online about critics and how oh you must be paid off by nintendo or whatever actually think it is like we've both written very negative reviews of things that hasn't impacted getting codes from that that publisher or whatever um but i think there is still is sort of just like an ambient fear of that happening in the air. I think it's actually pretty tough to to get that like to really happen to you to really get blackballed, mm-hmm. but it can happen. And the other thing, and I think probably the much more common thing, is that as we've talked about before, if you're playing a game on embargo, you often have like 48 hours to finish a 40 hour long game. Right? It's just not a condition under which anyone does their best work. And the reason that sites stick to it is because you need to get reviews out at embargo to get views. And because journalism is uh, on fire, every site needs those, like as many eyeballs on it as possible to try to convince the vampires that run their companies not to lay everybody off for no reason. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think the, like the, the bigger issue at play with like this particular thing, especially the Final Fantasy 16 thing, is just like you you phrased it earlier as like games that are too big to fail. And that's that seems much like a much bigger thing. I think part of that comes down to reviewer selection. Reviewing a game is like a huge undertaking. <laughs> like it is as much as like, you know, we both love doing it. It is a giant pain in the ass every time because mm-hmm. it's just like a huge time commitment. You're really putting yourself out there and like you know, hoping that like trolls don't find you on this one. Like there's just, there's a lot of downsides to it. And so people tend to pick games that they expect to like to review, because if you're playing a game that you hate for 40 hours, that's a much worse experience than playing a game that you do like, right? Mm -hmm. Where even though it still sucks, you're at least like, well, this is a good game. I think the other part of that is something we've also talked about, which is the sort of like, I don't know, tendency of some critics, again, not to be named to be like a shiny set of keys being dangled in front of a toddler effect like there is there is an extent to which like spectacle and and budget on screen is something that impresses people a lot and can like get a game reviewed like much mm-hmm. better than it should be on its on its real merits if it just like looks like the kind of thing that you're that they're expecting to get a high score I don't know, it's something we talked about with Final Fantasy 16. It's like when you when the trailers came out, it's like, oh, that looks like a game that's going to get nines and tens, you know? Yeah. Like, regardless of how it plays or what the story is or if it's 
barely veiled misogyny throughout. I know it's it's very interesting because it does seem like, and I think it's tied into the fact that like game si- development cycles are like increasingly longer and they're increasingly more expensive. So it's like it's almost kind of like, well, a game has to be good if you're going to spend that much time on it. And there's so much budget on screen that a lot of people are like, well, that sure is a 10. It mm-hmm. looks good. You know, one of the things I was thinking about that I, that I, a tweet that I thought was interesting is Jason Schreier on the 22nd. So this is like a day after the game was out to the public said like his thoughts on Final Fantasy 16 was that it was, quote, a good game, definitely not one of the series best, but not the worst. And that the story devolves into an incoherent mess two thirds of the way through. It was just something like this where it's like it wasn't a massive criticism of the game being like, listen, this game is actually the worst game you've ever played. But it was like, you know, it was a much more measured response to something that I think never got really discussed. And I mean, it's obviously, again, it's one of those difficult things because reviews are subjective. But I think there's sometimes you can see a lot of through lines and how people weigh things in reviews and With 16, I think people put a lot of spectacle first. They were like, it looks good. The world looks cool. And those icon battles look dope as shit. And combat is good. I know, but this is what people said. (laughs) I know, meh, what we think. But like, this is what people said. So they're like, that makes it like a 10. And there there was a lot of frustration to me where you could see people weighing elements like how it treats its characters way less. Like there were literally asides where people like, sure, this story is about slavery and they really never discuss it. Also, yeah, we know there was like bad stuff about racism or like, sure, women aren't treated the best, but they're like, oh, but overall this game's like perfect. And I was, and I kind of struggle with something like that where I'm like, totally, I think, and I do think this is an issue. This is like one of my biggest things that I always try to do with criticism. One of my biggest issues with a lot of criticism by and large in the industry, I think it's very short-sighted about the like really much more real world aspects of a game and like these themes and how it treats characters and how it touches on real world issues and how they're incredibly problematic sometimes. Like I said, I never wrote about this, but I, one of my th- notes when I came out of my preview of Final Fantasy 16 was literally just, wow, this game really hates women. Mm-hmm. And and like I thought this was a massive problem. And like I have to say, by and large, most of the reviews that came out on Embargo never really touched on this in a big way, yes. despite how fucked up this game really treats its women. And I think that's actually a huge factor that plays into this kind of like triple a score inflation thing Mm -hmm. where it's like people are so willing to put story as the like the last the the least most important part Mm -hmm. of a game and even one that like won't factor into the review like like you're saying like people like well okay yeah it does have like weird ideas about slavery but that's not going to affect the score Mm -hmm. because we just want to rate how it looks and feels and it's like no that's actually very important like Mm -hmm. that's something you should absolutely be factoring into your review is how it treats characters whether it is misogynistic and whether it does this really like weird bag fumble with the the like two gay characters who are in it whether it's themes are completely unsupported by Mm -hmm. like by its own story like Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of stunning the degree to which people are able are, are willing to look overlook just like basic incompetence in in uh, the plot of a game if it just you know has enough explosions on screen to keep them dazzled and it's something that i was thinking about a lot like um the pitfalls of this game are not surprising or new Mm -hmm. considering the team that made it like 
this game has a lot to do with Heaven's Word. Yeah. I, I mean, also just considering like the triple a as a whole like yeah it's like this is the direction of of mm-hmm. this kind of game i was thinking about like trying to get away from 16 and thinking about other games in general of late that have like had this problem and i was thinking of a couple examples one to me that i was thinking of is god of war ragnarok which i think had a lot of score inflation where it came out and everybody was just like this game looks amazing it's bigger better it's just the first it's just god of war 2018 but bigger and I think like it's been much um, a much more mild de-escalation since that game came out. I think nowadays, if you were to look back at God of War, you'd be like, it's fine. Yeah, I feel like I haven't heard the like the reevaluation as much as I've just heard people stop talking about it. Like it wasn't a thing where people went back and reevaluated. They were just like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe that wasn't so so great. Because I think people were just blown away by the you know pushing of spectacle and. I was actually thinking about this a lot about like, to me, I think one of the defining aspects of 2023 for games has been remakes. Obviously, there's been a lot of big budget remakes and like a lot of the best reviewed games this year and highest scores have been like Resident Evil 4 remake and Dead Space remake. And it makes me like, I think it's a really great point of comparison to see what the industry at large And by that, I mean, like criticism, like what journalists by and large have been viewing as the things that are worth good reviews. And if you see remakes of already critically acclaimed games getting perfect scores, the only difference by and large is that they have more beautiful graphics. So it's like there's a correlation of equating the graphical fidelity and just the money you put into a game with a better score. And I think there's like, it's really rough because I think there are a lot of people who are trying to do the good work, but it feels like there's, there's a flattening of criticism and of critical thought. Yeah. I mean, I think you're totally right. Like Mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like this is also, this leans into another bad habit, I think of games journalism right now is the, the hyper focus on triple A in general. Like, I think I've, I've talked to you, like we've talked to you about this before. I don't know if we've like said it on the podcast, but the like analogy I'll use is it, it often feels like if film critics mostly focused on like Marvel movies, you know, if, if their mm-hmm. main focus was like blockbusters where there is kind of a, a emptiness to those movies and the and the things that there are left to to review are like, what does it look like? Is it exciting? Yada, yada, yada. That kind of feels like the state of games criticism sometimes because there are just like vast numbers of indie games that are gone that are go completely unnoticed. And again, that goes back to the just completely broken economics of the industry. Like it's there. I know there's lots of critics out there who are made to review Final Fantasy 16 when they'd much rather be doing much more interesting stuff that's coming out. But it's yeah, like when the entire field of games that you're reviewing uh, is made up of the ones that are focused on spectacle and the ones that are focused on just like excitement and like just keeping your attention and just like always having things to do then naturally those are going to be the things that you focus on and it's going to sort of like atrophy your senses for uh for evaluating other things like i think you really have to make a conscious effort to like even in games that don't put their story forward or that, or that don't have much concern for it i think you have to make a conscious effort to actually think about those things and think about what the themes of the game means just in order to keep yourself from falling into that that trap of of never thinking about them mm-hmm. i know this makes me think of reviewing um fire emblem engage which like is a review that i don't know i was one of the lowest scores for sure for it 
even though I I really liked the combat of it, you know, the, the tactics or whatever, they're very good. But the story is so bad that it made me just unable to care about it. Whereas I saw a lot of reviews that were like very, very high scores that were making basically the same points that I was about the story. That were just like, these characters are flat, there's the story is predictable, et cetera, et cetera. And then give this game a nine, right? Where it's just mm-hmm. like the story in, in those cases just does not factor in any way to the evaluation. And I like purposefully weighted my criticism more toward the story because that's what I care about. And also because of this thing, like I, I think we do like as a field need to put more effort into that, put more attention on it. Mm-hmm. I think this like, this problem is also like detrimental to how indie games are reviewed when they do get reviewed because yeah. because people are so so much value graphical fidelity and this big budget thing when they review most games they inherently kind of see other games as less than and worth lower scores because they're not on that quality so like totally. even if a game is like there would be no godly reason them, for them to be like this triple A budget thing. Like it's a visual novel. There's like this thing where it's like a visual novel is inherently going to be like a seven mm-hmm. because they just see it as a less than genre. Honestly, I think if that's the biggest problem about this whole thing is that it it leads to like harmful criticism of other games. Yeah, for sure. That, I'm, I'm, that it's reminding me now of... A review that I, I read of Stephanie that was obviously a game that I loved, but they were talking about the those sort of like diorama sequences when you mm-hmm. complete one of the kind of key species and it goes into these like long digressions of like just 15 minutes of like, I don't know, almost like prose poem stuff about the characters' memories and, you know, these weird visuals that represent them, which to me were like the best part of the game. And I remember seeing reviews that were like, yeah, and then it has these weird segments that just like take you out of the action for like 15 minutes and just like... It's just a bunch of text you have to read. And it's like, okay, but you're not like meeting the game on its own terms at that point. Mm -hmm. Like if if you're complaining that it is doing that instead of just being about action, you just don't want to be playing this game. And I think that's also like a sort of like farther downstream effect of that thing you're saying, where it's like they expect indie games to be at the technical standards of AAA, but they also expect them to have the same values, right? To, to follow the same blueprint. And so if there are good, which there are like many, many, many games out there that are not interested in doing the same things that AAA games do, even if it does those things incredibly, even if it does a, a fantastic job of them, people just are not trained to look at those as valuable things uh, and so even like the best examples of narrative games doing some some weird experimental shit that's just not the thing that people want to give high scores to like it's not mm-hmm. the kind of thing that gets high scores yeah i have to say like and i don't want to make this just about how also review scores are bullshit but like i think there's something to be said of there was something really really funny to me of seeing when Final Fantasy 16's reviews came out, people were like, here are all the Famitsu review scores for all <laughs> of the Final Fantasy games since 13. And not a single one of them was below a 37 out of 40. And it's the one that had a, and the only one that had a 40 out of 40 was was Final Fantasy 13 too, which like, mm-hmm. that's fine. 13 so too. Like, right. yeah, yeah, they got that one right. But it's like, it's just it's kind of like to me is a little bit proves this idea that game scores have just been compounded so much to this like stratospherical height where it's like to be honest i think so many people gave final fantasy and like inherently an eight or more because it has final fantasy in the name 
Yeah. A Final Fantasy game would have to be like bad to get a seven. Like, I know. It'd it, have to have like a female like, protagonist. It is. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, if a site gave a, a, a seven to this game, you know they would get like the constant harassment. Like, mm-hmm. they'll get harassment no matter what, of course. Mm-hmm. But the message that quote unquote gamers would take from that shit would be like that this is a bad game because the, the floor for games like that is basically an eight. You know, like the scale is eight to 10 mm-hmm. for any game that's the size of. Final Fantasy 16 or God of War Ragnarok or, you know, any of these blockbuster games that we don't really generally give a shit about. And it's just like, I don't know, it's difficult to even see the value in the review at that point. I mean, or at least in the review score, right? Like there's obviously room in the review for more interesting criticism, whether it's being done or not. Like, you know, it's another issue. But but yeah, it's like you said, like the review scores are, are I think, annoying for us because they lack the kind of nuance that we want to describe the kind of games that we like or that Mm -hmm. we're interested in. But they they also make reviews of even very popular games like less valuable because if your choices are basically great, amazing, and perfect, at that point, there's no point in even putting a score on it, right? It's like, it's, I don't know. It just feels like, who does it serve at this point? Yeah. Aside from, I guess, publishers using it as a reason not to give bonuses to their developers. Which, yeah, it's, yeah. And like, just to kind of like talk a little bit more on why I don't like this for indie games is because Uh I think most people, honestly, by and large, a lot of people would not consider giving a triple A game below an eight. But with an indie game, there's not that kind of pressure or stakes. So people Mm -hmm. are way more willing to use the whole scale. So it's like, oftentimes, I think a lot of people see indie games and kind of are like, I don't think this will ever get above an eight. Like, I think you're more likely to see an indie game get a six even or a five even than anybody would ever do that for a triple a game unless it was like trash like Gollum will get like got right massive critical reviews but it's like because it was unplayable which like the 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 greatest sin of a triple a game and is in some ways it feels like the only sin is is bad performance yeah which is wild to me because like even cyberpunk 2077 was an unplayable game but when reviews came out it had a lot of good reviews, obviously, because like CD Projekt Red kind of like played the game where they gave a lot of people only PC codes and stuff, but like, which is another issue that's kind of like not the point of this, but it's like sometimes they just can't do anything to fail. And that is, I think, a really dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And I, and like, I do think it is one of those things where I think we need to be more critical of like our own industry of like criticism itself. And we really need to like figure what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. I don't have much else to say. There's nothing in my brain right now. That's okay. Reviews are fucked. Yeah. It's so hard for me. And I know I've talked about this and at this point, I'm probably getting to the point of repeating myself, but like doing reviews is my favorite thing that I get to do. I love reviewing games so much. It's where I think I do the most interesting work and where I like, I love getting to like really talk about games and like think about what are they doing and like delve into this in this way. And like, it's just so fucked that it's also so difficult to like really feel like a review is doing justice to anything you think or to the game itself because of this like kind of fucked system that we're in of embargoes, PR bullshit, review scores, audiences, everything like Uh it's a lot. It's I don't know. It's fucked. It is. And it's like, it's unfortunate that like reviews in general are some of the least interesting criticism that's written about games. Like a lot of the most, like the best criticism about games is like 
stuff that comes out well after the review period, you know, like well after launch, it's people who like have taken the time to really think about this and dig into it. But for a lot of places, like a lot of outlets don't ever run those sort of pieces. Like once it becomes not newsworthy anymore, like again, the absolutely broken economics of, of games and journalism in general means that there's not typically room for those like, you know, post-mortem discussions or whatever. So even people who would love to write those things are kind of forced to cram every thought they have into the review and try to like turn it from a review into like a little like mini critical essay, like paragraph by paragraph about everything they actually want to talk about in detail, which is just another, you know, another way in which this is just very frustrating. Fuck it. I don't know if you ever thought about this. Maybe someone should start the defector of games journalism. Interesting. (laughs) It's weird that no one's ever thought about that before. Oh, man. Do you want to talk about some of the highlights from the Annapurna Interactive Showcase? Yeah. Okay. There's a Blade Runner game. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They didn't show any. I mean, the trailer doesn't show it at all. Yeah, they didn't show it at all. It's cool that there's a Blade Runner game. Mm -hmm. I like Blade Runner. I love Blade Runner. So there's a lot of Blade Runner comics. There's a really great Blade Runner comic that's going right now. It's been so great. It started as Blade Runner 20... 19 i believe it was it was called blade runner 2019 and then it did a second run called blade runner 2029 and then it's on Mm -hmm. its third and final run now called blade runner 2039 so fucking good and it gets into a lot of like the nitty-gritty of the world that's happened over these like three decades it's so great and like i think they talk a lot in this trailer they mentioned the blackout and stuff which is stuff that this comic goes into a lot i'm very excited for this game i think it's gonna be cool as hell i love blade runner (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do too. Like, uh, you know, I'm excited to see how this pans out. It's, um, yeah, I don't know anything about this game other than yeah. it's a Blade Runner game. There's also the new game from the Katamari Damacy uh, creator, to a T. Right. I know nothing about this game, really, but it looks hilarious. It's just about a character who's stuck in a T pose. It is very, <laughs> very funny. Yeah, also very, very difficult to get an idea of what the fuck this game will be from the trailer i literally i like i had to do a recap of this a showcase and i wrote for to a t i was like we don't really know what it's about but it looks like it's about a character who's stuck in a t-pose also there's a giraffe with a bow tie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's all you need those are both true things about this game um i thought ghost bike looked pretty fun i think ghost bike looks really fun I thought it was really interesting because I was like, why is this game called Ghost Bike? It mostly just looks like a vibey bike simulator, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you get ghost power. I guess it so. makes your bike go fast. Sure. Maybe. Yeah, it looks cool. It is, um, it's very pretty. I think like a lot of games lately have had like a very similar visual style mm-hmm. of this, you know, kind of flat color cartoony type thing it reminds me of a roller drone roller drone dome yeah somewhat roller drone was a little more blown out but this Mm -hmm. is very similar it reminds it's reminding me mostly of um dungeons of hinterberg which was shown at something day of the devs one of the not e3 showcases it was one of the things we didn't get to but i i thought was like one of the most like visually streaking games of those yeah i don't know it's an interesting style like even though it, it isn't doesn't feel totally original anymore but i like that it still is like captivating it's not it i think to me that that says that it's not just the sort of newness of it that makes it interesting like it is actually like a compelling style to use uh and that's exciting and also i just like i think i don't know there's a lot of room for a good like biking game like that was one thing um 
season that came out earlier this year that I was very excited to be like, oh, I wonder like how this feels to ride this bike. And it like it was pretty, I don't know, it's pretty satisfying mechanically, but I, I feel like a game that focuses more on that will get more interesting. And like I don't know, have other ways of of turning that into an interesting mechanic. So I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one to call out again in the uh, the trilogy of games where we're not sure what's going on, but they look cool. Uh, Lorelei and the Laser Eyes. Yeah, this does look neat. It's like it's exciting. There, I mean, largely two reasons. Well, three reasons. Looks great. Sounds great. It's made by Samogo, who made Sayonara Wild Hearts, a game that we both oh, love. Oh, I didn't uh, even realize that. You keep forgetting that it's made by them. We have <laughs> talked about this before, and you keep forgetting. But that was like that is the number one thing that makes me excited for it, because that game was so good. We've talked about this game again also multiple times on this on the show. Like I'm... Listen, listen, my brain is not <laughs> together. <laughs> okay. I'm surprised I remember what we're even doing here right now. Mm-hmm. But it looks very cool. Oh, I, Thirsty Suitors got a release date for November 2nd, which I'm actually really excited about. This game looks mm-hmm. wild. Cocoon also got a release date, which I think is a game that you're interested in. Yes. Um, i very interested in this. Kind of can't, couldn't care less, but yeah. It, it looks really interesting. I mean, it's like this kind of like puzzle platformer type thing where you're able to sort of like jump into different levels of the world. There is like there's a world and there's an object that you can that you're carrying around and you can jump into that object and there's a world inside of it uh it was something that was showcased i don't know game awards or something last year and it looked pretty interesting it was shown again at uh day of the devs looked even more interesting and then all of the coverage that i've read of it of people who've actually gone hands-on with it has been like glowing so it's just like one of those games that is like I feel like is very slowly generating like really really good buzz. Um, so I'm I'm quite excited to see how that how that turns out. Another one that uh, looked really interesting to me was Flock. Yeah, this kind of was interesting. Uh, it reminded me a lot of. Is this in any way made by the people who made Hohokam, or is this just remind me of it? I could have fact checked this myself, but I was lazy. You could, but you are. <laughs> proper games i don't know them it's a proper game in it yikes <laughs> i'm so sorry yes oh wait that's a different game called flock cool this is like great seo guys <laughs> developer hollow ponds oh this is the developer who made wilmot's warehouse which is an interesting game did you play that nope do you Never know that game? It. Nope. <laughs> it's a game about organizing a warehouse. Like you get a shipment of like shapes in, and then you just choose how to like arrange them in any way you see fit. Uh, and then someone will ask you to bring like certain numbers of certain ones of them. And it's all about like setting up these logistics so that you can then fulfill these orders in time mm-hmm. so it's about like deciding on like a, an organization system and then like implementing it. it it's very interesting but no they didn't make that game that you're talking about okay cool um, but it's interesting it has a dynamic herding gameplay just like it does uh, summer hill oh my god it's gonna be, ugh, the dynamic herding games are really taking it's the over year of the herding game i am so for just like it. how after death stranding came out the the strand genre really blew up you know <laughs> No, um, it's 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 the new farming game. It's the new uh, I don't know what else. 
what else are the kids playing? Um, it looks cool. It's very cute, very cartoony. Um, I'm also not entirely sure what the game is, but you just sort of like fly around these very like pleasant looking landscapes and you get like all these different flying critters to follow you in, in giant flocks and then do something yeah i don't know it looks like it'll be pretty vibey and it might be it might be fun to just like i don't know play for like half an hour i feel like yeah i feel like it's it's kind of of like flower or like something like that where it's just about like moving through this space that's Um, why i was talking about hohokum if do you know hohokum it's basically honestly to me it's this game but it's in 2d you're like on a big snake kind of and you run around this like these environments and you have to collect like people. Oh. Okay. They actually do share a developer. Richard Hogg worked on both of them. Who is video game developer and for Hohokum, I'm dead and Wilmot's Warehouse. So I guess Is this just like did he found the studio? studio? Okay. I knew yeah, there was similarities. The studio founder. Yeah, okay. Because it definitely looks like Hohokum, but in 3D. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. I'm happy for this game to be. What else is at this show? Oh, oh, there's a game that I actually thought looked cool. And I even wrote down in my notes when I saw it, I wrote down this is a Robin-ass game, mm-hmm. which was Lush Foil Photography Sim. Yeah. Which is literally just like a super realistic photography game where you just like you get a camera and you basically like have all the real abilities as like a really high end DSLR and you just get to take photos in all these different environments. And like if you explore the world, which is like these different open environments, uh, you find other cameras and you just get to take different types of pictures like you can get a drone, which it's this seems really neat. Yeah, no, it does seem really cool. Like I, you, you have made fun of me before for loving like photography games, and I think I don't know. I'm I'm really interested in the ways that games explore photography and turn it into gameplay because it's often not about making it realistic. It's about I don't know the idea of capturing a photo. Like there's games like Toem that turns it into kind of a scavenger hunt. It's like it's about finding the thing that fulfills like a condition. You know, it tells you to take a picture of a certain thing, and it's like how do you get there? How do you make that happen? Or um, Umarangi Generation, which does have a lot more like manipulating the camera and changing film and, and things like that. But it's also that kind of scavenger hunt type thing. This just is purely like a photography sim, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, it'll. I, I'm, I'm very interested to see how this pans out because uh, mm-hmm. it's like photography. I love photography, but it's like two of the big problems are it's like prohibitively expensive to like get cameras in the first place, and then like going to like places like this that are that are portrayed in lush foil. Like that is just also just a massive time and money commitment. Um, so the idea of like getting some of that thrill of just like seeing this thing out you know in front of you and trying to find the way to use what you have to to turn it into the perfect shot to distill it into like this one image that's like extremely compelling to me and so one of these that is based around like real world cameras and real world locations as opposed to the more fantastical twist that most games put on it um it's really interesting yeah i'm i'm going to be really excited to to play with this i mean i think that was mostly the highlight yeah i think so so uh, besides all that, oh, what have you been up to in the past two weeks? Because it's been so long since we've done this. Uh, it has been so long yeah. since we've done this. What have you been up to? Well, there was, so the reason we didn't record last weekend was because I, uh, a couple of friends from college and I rented a cabin, like a 
this little place that was just like on the border of PA in New York. And we just, it, it rained all weekend and we just hung out in the cabin and it was nice. So I recommend going, uh, go touch some grass with your friends. It was really nice, uh, a very relaxing time. And also just good to get like out of, out of Pittsburgh for a little bit because I never go on vacations. So it was nice to do one. But the thing I wanted to talk about that is more related to our podcast is uh, a game I've been playing that I've been I, that I finished that I really enjoyed this week, uh, which is Killer Frequency by Team Seventeen, and this is a like first person puzzle game I would call it by Jesus Christ <laughs> by Team Seventeen. We're so close and it's to the end. Killer Frequency. <laughs> do we do, we're so close. <laughs> Um, it's a first person puzzle game where you play as a, the host of a, like a call in radio show. It's set in 1987. And the premise of the game is it's essentially like an eighties slasher movie where at the start of the game, you get a call from a 911 dispatcher who is just like not been able to get through to, to the local police. So she goes over to there herself and finds the, the, the sheriff has been killed and another cop is like locked up in the jail or whatever phones are down so she can't call like the next town over for help so she asks she's like going there in person uh and so she calls you like while you're live on the air and is like listen you're the only person in town who can like speak to the whole town at once and like field phone calls and all this stuff i'm rerouting all of the 911 calls for the rest of the night to your radio station uh and i while i go for and get help uh and the rest of the game is like People will call up and they're like being hunted by the serial killer and you have to find a way to like help them from where you are. So it's like in some cases you have like a map and you can like help direct them to different places in town. There's one really there's one funny puzzle that's like um, there's like a woman who the uh, the killer is like outside her house. But there's also like a frat party that's happening a few houses down. And so you have to order takeout and get it sent to their house and send a message along that says like to call the station and then you can give them directions and send them over to her house to like protect her. That isn't the one where you're like reading a, uh, a magazine. It's like a magazine article about hot wiring a car and you use that to like give directions to someone to hotwire a car so they can escape the killer. It's just like lots of quirky little things like that. It reminded me a lot of Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes, actually, where it's this concept of like, there's a person who has to like do this complicated task, but they don't know how. And you are like this distant person who has the directions to give them to tell them how to do it. And that's like most of the puzzles. And so when you're not doing that directly, you are like searching through the radio station to find these kind of clues or whatever, and eventually to like solve what's happening with this murder. But you're also like running the radio show. It's like very funny, like in between calls, it's like these very dramatic moments that are like really, really intense. And then you're like, and now we're going to play this next track. And you can just like pick for one of the records you have. Now and play we're a playing song. Staying Alive. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, there's like it's the whole thing is very like packed with like references to like slasher movies and stuff. And all the songs you can play are called like Running for Your Life and like shit like that. Yeah. So there's like a very funny tone to it. You have like your producer, Peggy, who's like in the booth, you know, across from you, who you're like bantering with the whole time. Um, and both the voice actor for you and for her are both great. Like it's the writing is really, really sharp, which I think is the thing that really carried me through. After a while, the puzzles kind of started to feel samey for me, but just the whole tone of it, the writing, the sense of humor is just like really, really on point. Uh, the music is also great, which helps. So yeah, it's, it's, I, you know, it's, it's a pretty short game. It's like four hours long. I feel like 
some of the puzzles could have honestly just been like cut out because it gets a bit repetitive but just the whole tone of it like i really loved it like it ended up being at this point it's one of my favorite games of this year so far and that's like that's carried so much by like the two main performances and just the quality of the writing yeah i think my my major complaint was actually was not not giving you enough stuff to do of just like playing with the tools you have not letting you like get into that role of like playing dj enough and like i you know i was thinking there could be ways of using like your phone lines and your soundboard and your whatever to like solve these puzzles or whatever it doesn't really do that but yeah i also so the reason i have so many thoughts about this also i, I guess i'll just say is i've reviewed it i've been doing some freelance reviews so for anyone who's also been following along uh, the adventures of me being unemployed <laughs> no longer in immediate danger of losing my housing so that's good appreciate the concern from people who were concerned about that uh, but yeah i've been doing some freelance reviews so I'll, I'll post that along with this this episode but i think it's worth checking out mm -hmm. like a, a game that i kind of like i liked less at the end than i did at the beginning but i still think is like absolutely worth playing so you sold me on it. I feel like I talked forever, but um, what have you been doing for the past two weeks? Well, so, I've been doing that. Yeah. TV of late has been like really bad, in my opinion. Like I have a really hard time picking up new TV shows, even when people are like, you have to watch this. It's, it's the best. I just can't get into it. And so Zoe and I, we always typically have like an old TV show that's like multiple seasons complete that we just kind of like watch all the time. And mm -hmm. our latest TV show that we started, we started it like after our last recording and we're already on the last season is mm -hmm. we've been watching Sex and the City. Like I've seen episodes of this show here and there like you know i grew up with my mom and two older sisters like this was always on but like i've never watched the show from beginning to end and let me tell you the show is fucking incredible <laughs> i love this show it's fucking hilarious and like you know what i'll say it new york greatest city in the world it's so fun just watching this wow you're so original <laughs> i know and I, I just like love watching this show that's like very new york and like especially now that like it's almost like it's a character in the show you know what i mean <laughs> But it's like being being someone <laughs> who is like, I know, but, but like being someone now who is like lives in New York and like no shit, it's fun and it's like cool. And it's there are some things that are just so timeless about it. And I really, really enjoy it. It's also just like the writing is so good and the main cast are so hilarious together. And now just like all the time Zoe is talking how she's like, so Zoe is like, I am a Carrie. And I'm like, yeah, of course you are. This explains so much. I Seeing Sex in the City has explained so much about Zoe to me. Like, wow. <laughs> derogatory. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> she is the Carrie derogatory. <laughs> but it's it's been a really, really fun watch. So we're on season six. We're halfway through season six, which is the last season. But that means we have the first movie. We have the second movie. And then also we have the sequel show, mm -hmm. um, which is on its second season right now. We watched the first few episodes of the first season of the sequel show which is called and just like that terrible it was but it's hilarious also apparently there's like there was a short-lived prequel series called the carrie diaries we might check that out it's been very fun i highly suggest people watch sex in the city a plus show i love it nice <laughs> yeah but i so that'll end uh this episode of girl mode you can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts you can follow us places i mean uh, we'll see you can you can follow us on twitter at girl mode right. underscore pod and on co-host at girl mode dash pod we also have a we link tree made 600 posts so there's no yeah, danger of like running over your limit if you click on our <laughs> profile we have a link tree which will 
probably put in the show notes just so you can like make sure you follow us everywhere else. Remember to, you know, review us, like us, tell your friends about us. Uh, not on Twitter. You can call follow- into a late night radio show and tell them about girl mode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and co-host and blue sky and most places at the Willow row. Yeah. And you can find me at Twitter and co-host on Jesus Christ. You can find me on Twitter and co-host at the Robin Bombas. Nope. At- <laughs> <Damn it. laughs> Don't follow me. It's fine. Goodbye. Bye. Cue music. <laughs> the rap. We go off. We we take one week break. Yeah. This is this is girl mode. Just saying that. You're a good girl.